Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, beekeepers have been challenged with consecutive years of very low honey prices. Those weak prices have been a challenge for those beekeepers because the cost of production, like buying queens, labor, and equipment, has continued to increase. Sheldon Hill, with Sweet Pure Honey, is all too familiar with the situation. In fact, his struggles began to have a significant effect on his mental health. Sheldon will share his story and also talk about what we can be doing to support beekeepers and those little bees. A Canada-wide organization that helps teach kids about food systems is celebrating an important milestone. Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month is celebrating its 10th anniversary. The federal government recently announced $1.6 million for Agriculture in the Classroom Canada, an organization that works with schools across the country to implement food and agriculture into curriculums. Sarah Shimko with Agriculture in the Classroom Saskatchewan will talk about the important work of educating our young people, many of whom do not have any connection to the farm. After the break, Sheldon Hill. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Sheldon Hill is a beekeeper, sweet pure honey business. Now the bee operation is located at Porcupine Plains, Saskatchewan. And Sheldon runs this business with his wife and partner, Stella. And she lives in Medicine Hat, where she looks after selling a lot of the pure honey and honey products. Sheldon, we're going to be talking about 2020. It's been a particularly tough year for you. But some of these problems actually started long before that because the industry has really been struggling. So we're going to, first of all, just start by talking about your business. We definitely have worked on trying to value add um, our product. So we have websites that we sell um, the products that we make, uh, as well as we have honey, as well as other products that um, are derived from from bees and beekeeping. Um, we just needed to or wanted to squeeze a little more money at the value add. So. Uh, I know there's other beekeepers that are, are doing it in the province as well. It's not every beekeeper, but there's there's others doing it. I'm, as for uniqueness, I don't I don't think we're really different than a lot of beekeepers. Um, generally speaking, in in Western Canada, we operate pretty much the same as as everybody else kind of does, I guess. But uh, I guess unique in the perspective that Medicine Hat is technically your home base, but the beekeeping operation. Oh, okay, is yeah. Yeah. See, well, my wife um, Stella uh, is from originally from Medicine Hat, um, and uh, she lived in Porcupine for a number of years with their children, and, and it just seemed like a good good idea. Our children were getting a little bit older. It was it was maybe a better move. Um, for their education and and just for her own well-being, like she's um, she's a visible minority, <laughs> she's black. That's the reason why else. It's, it's a tough occupation and very physically demanding. Um, just talk about that. Yeah, it's um, a lot of things are still done by hand. You know, we do have some things now, like uh, uh, forklifts. And you know, larger trucks and things like that to um, to move things around. But it, it's still a lot of it's just done by hand. So there's a lot of 
picking things up and moving things that are quite heavy. Harvesting, we still harvest um, uh, our honey supers one by one, kind of taking them off and putting them on the truck physically. So, yeah, it can be quite a physical, very difficult, especially in the middle of summer when it's hot outside and it's, you know, 30 degrees outside, everybody's at the lake having fun. You know, it's been in the, in the lake and we've got a bee suit and a, with a hood wrapped around her head and, and we're lifting, you know, 50 to 70 pound boxes, you know, three or four hours a day, hundreds of them, if not thousands sometimes. Now how many hives do you have? I, I, I guess that would vary from year to year, but what would be an average? I personally have about 400, 500 in that, that range. I um, I work with other people, which, so I do work with other people, but I, me personally, I run about four or 500 hives. 2020, uh, with the pandemic, there's been a lot going on. It's It's been a tough year for a lot of people, and, and you had experienced some really tough times too so what was what was the start of it was it the distance from from your loved ones was it the work uh just tell us about what was going on for you personally it's funny 2020 was what what happened to everyone else i had been experienced this for the last four years of of just low commodity prices, um, a lot of pressure on hive loss and trying to keep your, your hive numbers up. Um, and uh, yeah, we weren't producing much honey either. There was a lot of weather uh, related issues. And, you know, not only for us, we weren't too bad, but there's other beekeepers in Western Canada that, you know, it really affected them badly. But in those two years, in, in 19 and 20, I've seen the two smallest crops I've ever seen per hive. Um, that's sort of how we base the honey production is we break it down per unit, like what, what a unit makes and per hive. And um, so coupled with a really a low price, you know, we're, we're basically just kind of getting by for the last three or four years. And then I'll... Then on, um, I guess it would be the fall of nineteen. Um, the the I worked away in the in the oil patch or had been for a number of years for you know probably twelve or thirteen years. That was sort of was holding everything together. So that company um, suddenly was dissolved, and I lost the job that I normally would be kind of keeping things balanced with. So that's that was the beginning of that. So, you know, the pandemic really wasn't about the pandemic for me personally, but it definitely did um, wipe away all those things, uh, all those distractions that you were kind of distracting yourself before, um, if that explains that. This this took a, took a toll on your, your mental health. Yeah, well, it's just years and years of stress. You know, farmers are used to that kind of stress. I think I, I saw a quote the other day, and I thought it was just perfect that, you know, stress for too long turns into distress. And, and that's sort of where it, it kind of got to me for that point. You know, it had been years and years of just, you know, what are we going to do? How is this going to to play out um, and then losing my winter job that was holding everything together. It just was one of those things that's sort of like, man, it's just, this is too much, you know? Um, and then the, of course, being away from my family, you don't have that, you don't have that person to go home to and, and just, you know, talk about the day or, or whatever it may be at that moment, just to let go of that stuff. So, you're not only working really hard and, 
And beekeeping is one of those things, like anything farming, it's sort of just crunched into a small period of time. So you're, you end up working days and days. And sometimes, you know, it would be weeks on end that I would be working, you know, every day, um, at least some part of the day most most uh, weeks so for for months you know like or weeks and weeks i guess i should say else you know it could be five or six weeks where I, I am working every day so you just got to the point where you're just burning out and you know coupled with all those different things going on at the same time i think you know it just got to a point where you, your bodies and your brain are just it's just had too much this led to some suicidal thoughts how are you doing now I'm doing good. I'm doing good. What the, the suicidal thoughts? It was something that I think a lot of people just think about. Oh yeah, home passing. Yeah, that that's crazy though. I think what it was is it scared me as as my brain started to think about well, you know, the end result, and it, and that scared me. I think with the the whole thought that my that I was actually getting that point where I'm thinking this way. I knew that people kind of could get to this point and and just from from the different reading that I've done over the years and, you know, and, and listening to other people talk about it, about their feelings and where they've been in, in different subjects like this. And it just was, yeah, it got to that point where I, I totally related to um, the people who are speaking of, suddenly I was thinking about suicide and I could never understand that to that point. But then my brain started to go to these weird places where you're thinking, well, maybe we'd just be better off if I wasn't here or you know what I mean like it was it was it was scary that's it scared me and that's when I knew I had to change you have started writing a blog um tell us about the blog and and what you're what you're hoping to accomplish from it is it is it for you or for others or is it a little bit of both yeah it is for me and you know that's how it started it was um I felt like I just needed to write it down to sort of just to get rid of it or just to, in a way, almost say it out loud, um, just to feel like you spoke up about it. It really started from my first mental health has been something I've been thinking about lately, but it's, it's something I've dealt with off and on throughout my life. So it wasn't the first time a mental illness um had an episode or I felt like that I was is not feeling well or whatever. So I had been doing reading and I had been thinking about it for, you know, decades really. And you could always bring yourself out by eating better, by, you know, getting more sleep, by, you know, doing something healthy to change the way your life is, is going. Um, what happens is that uh, I'm in Madison, Tennis, and I don't know if you know of... The tragedy that's happened um, with suicide, and particularly a group of people uh, that aren't all familiar with each other. Um, so that started um, with sort of the impetus of me thinking about a lot of this stuff. So the city itself is really grieving at, at this moment because it is really hit the city hard. Um, there's been a number of suicides in the, in the city. So there's people that are starting groups. And one of them was uh, uh, a new project called the Inner Man Project. And it's just based, in, you know, kind of for men. It's, it's focusing on, on men's mental health. And I was, it kind of struck me because I was at that point. So I thought, you know, we'll make a donation 
to the to this foundation and and, and uh, this group and um, we'll post it online because you know it's it's something that I want people to think about. When we did post it on social media, it just kind of blew up. So I knew it was kind of maybe the time to to talk about myself a little bit. So I I wrote just a little thing again on social media, just a quick little thing where I was at, what I was thinking about, and, and it itself blew up again. So I knew that, especially the private messages, I think was the thing that made me say, you know what, I need to tell people how I feel about it, and so maybe they'll feel, um, I guess, that it's okay to think this way, that, like that saying goes, it's okay to be not okay, and um, and just, you know, be that leader, I guess, in that sense, because I'm not, I'm not necessarily afraid to say this out loud, and I'm not necessarily afraid of um, the way that people are going to react to it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of just... There's a certain disdain to that kind of thinking, or, or definitely the people may look down on you um, talking about mental health as a weakness or, or like a personal weakness. This is, this is your kind of problem, and um, you know there's definitely a big stigma attached to it. So I wanted to be able to say that loud to them, um, to my friends especially, and and just to say you know here's here's where I'm at, you know, and it, it's okay to think this way it's not unmanly to to have these feelings and you need to be able to share it and you know i'm a person you can share it with we're going to say this right off the start you're not a mental health professional educated this this is this is just being open and honest about how you're feeling or how you were feeling and um making sure that it's all part of that process of being open about it and that it's okay to to talk about it. Yeah, it's really about that, Alice. I just wanted to start the discussion. Um, I know there is much more you need to do other than just talk about it. And I'm still learning those things myself. But just that you can talk about it and there is some options out there to help you. And um, I just could feel from my some of my friends and, and other people that maybe I've worked with and other industries and that, that that there was something not quite right, you know, especially when the pandemic came about and everyone's life was suddenly upside down. So it wasn't just a few people, it was suddenly everybody was feeling a little bit lost. And I just, you know, I just wanted to be able to say, it's okay. It's this is how I'm feeling. You know, you can take it or leave it, whatever you, and I am not a mental health expert by any stretch. I have never even had any type of counseling myself. So I want to be that disclaimer in that sense. But I just do know that it is a topic that we need to talk about. And especially in the farming industry, the amount of stress involved that farmers go under undergo, that um, we are really susceptible to this happening. And not only that, but we're a little bit isolated usually um, from the city or from other people, because a lot of times we're doing this on our own. It is important that you need to reach out at those times and maybe more so than the normal. Back in the day when I was young, you just got in the vehicle and you went and visited your neighbors. You just don't do those things anymore. Um, we're stuck looking at televisions, and I think that's part of the reason that um, we're not connecting or these, these feelings kind of 
persist is because we just don't, don't go and, and talk to others. There is no question that beekeepers are struggling financially. And the question is asked, how can you help beekeepers and their bees? Well, you can be a conscious consumer. Read the label on your honey container. Where is that honey sourced and is it local? Because every time you buy direct from a Canadian farmer, that money supports their farm. As Sheldon mentioned, he and Stella have created their own line of products. The Investahive gift bag contains raw white honey, beeswax lip balm, beeswax cream, soap, and a tea-like candle runs about $20. And the larger Investahive box contains honey, Cinespread, body balm, honey cream, beeswax, tea lights, and lip balms. That's about $100. Now, the sales from the online market will go directly towards supporting the hives this spring. Sweet Pure Honey also donates 10% of all their sales directly back to supporting the Northeast Women's Shelter. So you can learn more about Sweet Pure Honey just by going to their website. And you can also follow Sheldon, the Smoky Beekeeper, on Instagram. After the break, Sarah Shimko with Agriculture in the Classroom talks about the important work of increasing agriculture literacy and the way they're continuing to bring that message to schools during the pandemic. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Sarah Shimko is the Executive Director of Agriculture in the Classroom, Saskatchewan. Sarah, we're going to talk about the 10th anniversary of Ag in the Classroom and Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month. But first of all, let's talk about how the organization got started. Uh, a seed was planted and it really has grown to provide uh, an important educational service right across the country. So I think it was a few people who came together uh, way back in 1993, 1994, and realized that kids today were growing up pretty disconnected from what was happening on the farm. As more and more people were moving into rural areas, um, the knowledge about what was happening on the farm was decreasing. And so in 1994, Agriculture in the Classroom of Saskatchewan was officially incorporated as an organization with a mandate to bring agriculture education into schools across Saskatchewan. And it's expanded right across the country. Yes. So agriculture in the classroom organizations really sprung up all across the country in different ways and formats. And so some organizations were registered charities. Some were originally divisions or departments of the government. And then about five years ago, six now, um, all the provinces came together. We had always done a lot of informal sharing, but we realized that there could be some real power in coming together collectively and forming a national organization that could take the lead in some national programs, hopefully secure national funding, and really be a voice and a presence all across the country for agriculture education. So in the past five years, it's amazing to see how we've grown, not just provincially, but also nationally, and the impact that we're having in classrooms right across the country. You come together, but that must have been tough to navigate when you're uh, dealing with so many different provinces and different curriculums. That must have been uh, quite the complex process to get that done. You know, it definitely was complex at times. Um, You know, the provinces are all different with respect to their size, their geography, the type of agriculture that takes place. 
further to that, education is a provincial jurisdiction. And so the curriculums across the country don't always align for the same subject or the same topics being taught in certain grades. What we did have in common, though, was the mission and the mandate across the provinces that we all wanted to create agriculturally literate students, kids who would grow up leave grade 12 with an understanding of where their food came from, respect for the farmers who grew it, and at least a basic understanding of the science and technology that went into growing food. So we often say that the provinces are the boots on the ground, and while we might have a program that has the same common goal, it's often delivered differently in the different provinces. The entire agriculture sector is changing so rapidly, there would always be a need to upgrade and change the contents, especially in the last 10 years. Yes, absolutely. And uh, the pandemic, in fact, has um, catapulted us into the new world of digital and online resources. They don't replace the in-person experiences that students have, but it's really also been a way for us to reach students from all across the province, you know, in really remote and rural areas. Uh, to your point about agriculture changing, I mean, that's one of the things that's so exciting about agriculture. It's a dynamic industry. There's constant change, constant evolution, um, which means we are constantly updating the information. Um, what has stayed true through the years in agriculture is that farmers care about the land. They take care of their animals. They're constantly improving and researching. So a lot of the same, a lot of the messages are similar. It's just the content kind of within those messages that change, I guess. I'm sure you've heard many stories from educators and uh, probably stories you've heard yourself about the impact that this is having on our young people. Are there any stories that you can recall from your experiences? Oh, man, there's so many amazing experiences. Sometimes it's like you can actually see a light bulb go off in a child's head when they're like, oh, I get it. Um, you know, the excitement when they come out to our food farm events, they come in spring and then they come again in fall and they get off the bus and they're like, look at our farm. Uh, you know, there's those, those kind of experiences with the younger kids where the absolute wow moments like I grew this lettuce, I grew this tomato and, and they get to interact with the animals. So there's amazing experiences like that. Um, you know, there's also some funny stories that happen. I mean, remember being at one event early, early on, I guess, in my career with Egg in the Classroom and I had a child asking me for a seed to plant cheese. And I thought, oh, wow, <laughs> um, this is why we exist, I guess. Um, you know, or, or comments from high school students that are like, well, I don't care what happens to the farmers. I'm just going to buy my food at the grocery store. So there's so many different experiences, you know, through the years that we have on a regular basis that reinforce the importance of what we're doing. Uh, teachers also, it's a huge learning curve for a lot of teachers when they start to use agriculture in the classroom programs and resources. We have a good number of teachers who choose to get involved with egg in the classroom because what we offer helps meet their curriculum outcomes and provides a really positive experience for the students. But they're often not from farms either. And so along the way, we often get comments, wow, I didn't know about that. Like, that's really exciting. Um, on the field trips we offer, similar comments from parents that, that come along. And I think 
this year during the pandemic um, showed us a lot because teachers obviously were under a huge amount of stress, as was everybody in the world, I think. And many of them still took the time to try and bring agriculture into their classrooms in some ways, um, looking for creative ways that they could, you know, cover their garden when the room would be sanitized, uh, recreating what would have been classroom activities, individual activities, um, really striving to create those experiences for their students, even within the the current limitations um, of the public health restrictions. Recognizing Ag Literacy Month is, I guess, another opportunity to really dial up the conversation about agriculture. So what have you been focusing on for this year? Yeah, so this year for Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month, celebrating our 10th year, we partnered with Agriculture in the Classroom Manitoba to develop a resource uh, on healthy food from healthy farms. So there are some hands-on activities for the students to do, as well as a three-part video um, that we filmed um, during the pandemic, so that was a lot of fun. We are also offering virtual presentations, so we are coordinating volunteers from the ag industry, just like we always do, to go, instead of going into classrooms, though, they're being present virtually. So that's pretty exciting to see that, you know, 77 volunteers were willing to take that on and go into this virtual world and connect with the students. Um, Across Canada, there's a number of different activities taking place. We have 10 new online uh, resources digital resources that are available for teachers all across the country. We look at Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month as really a time to celebrate agriculture and also really help students understand that real people out there are growing the food that they're eating. That's a really critical component to our program here in Saskatchewan is really building that connection, building up that trust between farmers and kids. And what role can producers be playing in all of this? Well, for Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month, I think right now we're full up for the volunteers. We do a lot of that coordination. Uh, But if they are interested in volunteering with us in the future, we have certainly a place that they can sign up on our website. We're also hopeful that the restrictions will allow students to go on field trips this spring. And I know here in Saskatoon that uh, field trips will be allowed with their individual class cohort. And farms would be a great place to visit, um, you know, should everything align with ter- in terms of, um, I guess, the COVID restrictions. But if there are any farmers out there listening who might be willing to have a classroom come visit them this spring or this fall, uh, you can sign up on our website to be a farm tour host and we will connect with you. And what's in store for agriculture in the classroom for the next 10 years? Well, we have, together with Agriculture in the Classroom Canada and all 10 provinces, developed a framework for agriculture education with input from our stakeholders from across the country. And this framework um, will really be our guide, our guiding light, so to speak, for our future development and our approach to learning. So I think you can expect to see more digital resources, more online learning, but also a return to the hands-on, the interactive programs, We've done a really, really great job with elementary students over the years, and our focus is, sh- is not is shifting also to include more at that 
middle years to that grade seven to nine and high school. There's a tremendous amount of career opportunities available in agriculture and we want to make sure that students are considering the field of agriculture as they're making their decisions about careers to pursue. We've talked about the education system and farmers and what they're doing uh, to help to promote agriculture. Do you have any resources for parents out there that are interested in sharing this with their children at home? Yeah, so one of the the great things that happened on our end uh, because of the pandemic was uh, we shifted rapidly and we converted a lot of our classroom resources to be suitable to be taught or um, activities to be done at home. So parents can feel free to go on our website and under our search resources, there's a little button where they can click for at home learning and a number of activities will pop up for them that they can do with their students. Uh, they're curriculum linked, but a lot of them are just really cool activities that they can do on their own with their family members. Sarah, thanks for your time and uh, and sharing more about this important work. I guess maybe the last thing I'd like to say is um, agriculture in the classroom plays an important role in building public trust in agriculture. That journey, though, involves everybody working in agriculture and everybody who has a vested interest in safe, affordable, healthy food being produced. So get out, do something, get involved with Ag in the Classroom, share your story on social media, share your story with your friends, invite people out to your farming operation. Um, just, Just be active and share the incredible story of Saskatchewan agriculture. Have you done the analysis to see how many students you've reached over the course of this uh, program uh, being in existence for a decade? In the 10 years of Canadian Agriculture Literacy Month, through that program alone, we've reached over 53,000 students. So I'm pretty, pretty proud of that number. Sarah Shimko is the Executive Director of Agriculture in the Classroom, Saskatchewan. It's time for the weekly Agriculture News Roundup for the week of March 1st, 2021. The pandemic continued to disrupt the activities of the livestock sector. Statistics Canada said despite the challenges, from July to December, processing plants adapted their operations to increase processing capacity and reduce backlogs. More cattle, hogs and lambs were slaughtered in the second half of 2020 compared with the same period in 2019. Cattle and sheep inventories were down while hog inventories were up as of January 1st. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada completed an analysis of farm income for 2020 and 21, and the results show that Canadian income and the value of farms is expected to be at an all-time high. The grain sector had a very strong year with an 11.9% increase in overall crop receipts. Livestock receipts were forecast to have declined 1.9%, largely due to negative impacts of COVID-19 on the red meat sector. Farm organizations from across the country joined forces to create the Agriculture Carbon Alliance. ACA will advocate for policies regarding carbon pricing, offsets, retrofit funding and related environmental policies. The group's goal is to ensure that farming practices are recognized. The group is comprised of national canola, cattlemen, grain, pork, egg, chicken and turkey, horticulture groups and the Canadian Federation of Agriculture. The Canadian Grain Commission said there would be full compensation for eligible producers who are not paid for grain delivered to Canpulse Foods and Global Grain Canada. 
The commission suspended licenses at the end of October for the two companies, and they were placed into receivership on November 19th. All of those assets, including a pulse processing facility at Kindersley, are now under new ownership. There were 40 claims, totaling $3 million for CanPulse, and another 13 eligible claims for Global Grain Canada, totaling $700,000. The Global Institute for Food Security in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, is setting up its own high-tech agri-food research centre. GIF Executive Director Steve Webb says the 9.2 million Engineering Biology Agri-Food Innovation Centre will conduct cutting-edge agriculture research, developing canola varieties for more resistance to climate change, flavorings for the plant-based meat industry, and non-animal enzyme alternatives for dairy are a sample of some of the research projects. And Gordon Bacon, the longtime CEO of Pulse Canada, will retire at the end of March following 25 years of service. There should be a seamless transition with Greg Cherowick taking over the leadership role at the end of the month. Cherowick has been with Pulse Canada since 2004. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.